You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, y'all, we are so blessed to always know that the Word of God is where we take our counsel, it's where we get our direction. And as we are praying for our nation, Pastor Capace introduced last week in our relationship to our government. An incredible message to remind us of our responsibilities and also how we can pray. I want to just continue in that same direction and going at this point, I want us to get into this subject of what America actually needs from the church. Where you and I come in to the fact that we are here and there is a responsibility that we also have as the body of Christ and what America actually needs from the church. Now, America's not asking. America doesn't think she needs anything from any of God's people because they think they're doing fine without the Lord Jesus Christ. But they need us. And we are here in this nation for such a time as this. Let's pray together and call on the Lord at this time. Father, I can only ask in the mighty name of Jesus, that you are exalted and you are praised. I pray, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit, for all of our hearts to come in alignment with your will according to your word. So, Lord, you are to be the God of this nation. And this is your land. This is your country. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us as the church to step and press into that a little more this morning and the fact that we belong to you. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is a man by the name of Larry Page, and he is the executive director for the Arkansas Faith and Ethics Council. And uh, he writes every month an article that he sends out to the body of Christ in Arkansas to keep the church informed as to what's going on in our nation, and how we can pray, and how that affects us even at a state level. His article last month was called A Nation in Crisis, and Urgency for the Church. I want to share with you a little bit about what he said. He said, ours is a nation in crisis, and it is serious. I happen to believe that it is approaching a critical stage if it is not there already. It may be that the national fabric It's so badly torn and worn so thin that there's no going back unless we take dramatic and drastic action. The hard truth is that it will be God's people committed to being prayer warriors that will salvage this nation if this culture is to be saved. If this nation is to be pulled back from the brink of the abyss, I suggest we get serious about being the church. Profound words. And he would later go on in his article to finish by making this statement. He said, perhaps it would serve us well to recall Mordecai's profound statement to Esther in Esther 4.14 when he said, yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, I believe this is why we are actually here as the church. We are here as the church because we represent Jesus Christ, who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. 
And we are a part of the kingdom of Christ. But we have collided and continue to collide with the kingdom of darkness. The darkness that I once lived in until Jesus saved me. And those who are saved know Christ, you can say the same. We've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We know what it's like to live there. We are colliding with the kingdom of darkness, but might I say, it is for such a time as this. I love the timing aspect of what Mordecai told Esther. It's a great reminder in the fact that I am responsible and you are responsible for our generation. I cannot give an account for the generation before I was ever born. I will not be able to give an account for the generation after I die. But I am accountable for such a time as this. This is my time on the map. This is our, all of our time on the dot of eternity. And the generation that's living with us now in our kingdom, our country, is the generation we're responsible for. When we look at it in this way, we are in the midst of a kingdom crisis. Because our society, as we speak right now, though different from our founding fathers and how America started off, and the values that once filled this land, that are very, very far-fetched now, what we have to remember and go back to is that we regretfully look similar to the nation of Israel in Judges 21-25 when it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's unfortunately where we are in a lot of cases. It's a picture of a rebellious people who have dethroned their king. It's a picture of which the king of the of the world, the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, is not recognized as that, as we know. And it is no surprise here today that all of us know the condition that our society is actually in. The abominations of the Bible have become the laughing joke of a spiritually unconscious people that find pleasure in corruption and yet disgust for godliness. How did we get here? How did this happen? I'd like to invite you to open your Bible with me to Acts 17. And as we get into Acts 17, what I would like you to do is take this moment to find parallel with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in this, in this passage finds himself in the country or in the city of Athens, Greece. What we find in this passage is that the Apostle Paul has been to Thessalonica on a missionary journey, and he was run out of Thessalonica by the Jews. And the reason why he was run out, it's interesting, in this passage it says, because they said, all contrary to Caesar's decrees, they said that he's saying there's another king, Jesus. Reminds me of how the Pharisees would say, we have no king but Caesar. That seems to be the shout of among a lot of people. We don't want God to be our king. We don't want to take our direction from what God says. We don't want the Bible to call the shots in our lives. Many in our country feel this way. But God's people are here. And we are here to remind our, our world, our nation, our generation, that there is another king, the one and only king, Jesus. When Paul was run out of Thessalonica by the Jews, he found himself in Berea. He got to Berea, the Jews found him there as well, and they tried to run him out, and they did. And he ended up in Athens. 
Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea while he waited on them to come to Athens. Paul found himself in Athens. And he began to be here, and Paul finds himself here. It's his second missionary journey. It's the first Greek city that he's going to evangelize, even before Corinth, where we get Corinthians. This is where his first wake-up call, culture shock, comes to realize he's in major Gentile country. And there's so many pagan idols, so many different people worshiping different things. And Paul is astounded by what he sees. He was unpopular here. He was criticized. He was made fun of. He was condemned. And he was questioned and challenged. He felt like a complete minority as a follower of Jesus in a very Christless society of Athens. Does that sound familiar? What I want to do at this moment is let's just go into the text. And I want us to just take these verses. And I want you to see with me what the Bible says here. Paul provides us an amazing example of what does a follower of Jesus do temporarily passing through in Athens or United States or wherever God has us in a country that we're only here for a little while and then we'll be with Christ in heaven. What do we do when we're just passing through and living in a Christless society in such a way, how do we make an impact for the glory of God? What does Paul bring out in the text? And I want us to just grab a hold of this and realize that God has put this story in the word as a reminder of here's a servant of Jesus living in a society that doesn't want Jesus, and he is showing them how much they need Jesus. It's an amazing example. And we would do well to follow what Paul lays out here as an example. So let's go first of all into Acts 17. I want you to look at verse 16, and we're going to look at five directive ways that we can cry out together for our country as Paul sets this example among these lost Athenians and shares Christ with them in the way he does. Five directive ways how we can pray. And let's try to feel the pulse in this text that comes off to pages from us and to us. He says in verse 16, he says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. I want you to stop there for just a moment in verse 16 and take note here of the fact that when Paul gets here and he's looking around while waiting on Silas and Timothy, he is deeply distressed. It's a very interesting word. It's only used two times in the New Testament out of all the 27 books. This specific Greek word is a word that means specifically it is a It is an irritation that is sharpened with anger. Paul is angrily irritated when he sees the idolatry. He's not necessarily mad at the Athenians because it's like being mad at a baby for crying. A baby's going to cry because a baby's a baby, and a lost man acts like a lost man. He's attached to his idols because he's not been told who the true God really is. So Paul realizes that the context of agitation and irritation here, the righteous indignation that Paul is deeply distressed about is really an assault on Satan. It's the fact that these are the people of God created in the image of God who are made for the glory of God and Satan is trying to steal what is rightfully belonging to the Father. And he's destroying their lives with idolatry, 
deceiving their minds, capturing their hearts, and leading them astray into eternal hell. Paul is deeply distressed when he sees this idolatry that is going on. USA Facts provides national data to the FBI, to the CDC, and other national organizations that present data to us. And the collection of these are taken from all over the country. And what we want to get to is to a point as as I read some of these facts. With Paul, he was so deeply distressed. The directive way that we pray is we pray together, first of all, that we would share burden for what actually grieves the heart of God. What grieves the heart of God should actually grieve my heart. And it should grieve yours. And as Paul was moved by distress, angrily irritated at what he saw, that should be my response as well when I live in a satanically attacked nation. I should have burden, but I confess to you, as I've been studying the text and the passage and preparing the message, I've had to get on my face, get on my knees and repent because I believe that my heart has been so deeply disturbed by the fact that I've become easily acquainted with the situation of our country. It's very easy to get lax and lazy and hear another report and just turn your ear to something else. And I've had to really, really seek the Lord on this and just realize that, God, I'm not where I need to be. I need to have the burden in my heart that what grieves yours should grieve mine. The USA Facts makes these statements about these things, and it it grieves God's heart that child homelessness, child homelessness on the streets is up 96% over the last 15 years. That there's a new case for child protective service now every 92 hours in our country, which is a 20% increase over the last 11 years. And that child fatality that's due to abuse and neglect is up 61% over the last 19 years. We ought to cry out with King David in Psalm 119, 136 when he says, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. It ought to grieve our heart like it grieves God that national hate crimes in the last 19 years is up 124%. That drug overdose deaths are up astoundingly 319% in the last 20 years. And that opioids today are killing 130 people a day and are a cost of the U.S. economy $78 billion per year. And that sexual exploitation of children cases is up 97% in the last 19 years. And that abortions of babies have risen almost 3% over the last three years, with 61% of Americans voting to legalize abortion. And now with the new federal ruling on abortion at the state level, We will prayerfully now decrease these percentages so that we can see God bring that down. Let's pray with Jesus. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw the people in a mess because they didn't have direction and they didn't have a shepherd. That ought to grieve our hearts as well. It grieves God's hearts that FBI... Stat of assaults against police officers has increased over 7% in the last two years. And officers killed in the line of duty increased 51% in one year nationally. While rioting to defund the police in 2020, 
the U.S. murder rate spiked 30%, which was the largest one-year increase in 50 years in American history. Christ told us to expect things before his second coming. And one of the things that he said in Matthew 24, 12, is that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Where we want to get to with Paul is we want to be so deeply distressed when we say these statistics and we say this is an indication of some of the many things that are going on in our nation. It's an indication that man's heart is dead. Man's heart is sick of, in sin. And depravity is ruining people. And the solution to these things is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, and it always will be. And, and Christ wants to see this. And so what we get to when we pray for America, we pray as we pray for our country, what America needs is for us to share burden with what grieves the heart of God. May it be so that it grieves us and that we give Paul's response to our current condition of our society that we are deeply distressed to see people captured by what they're living in and captured in and running, ruining them from the Lord. Something else in the text that I want you to see with me together, if you go down in, in the passage, I want you to start at verse 17. And look with me here in verse 17 of what it says. It says, so he reasoned. Paul now is responding to what he's seeing. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Now stop for a moment and just remind ourselves that the Epicurean philosophers are the people who believe that the chief end of man is not the glory of God, it is his pleasure. And the Stoic philosophers are all about logic and they're very, very prideful. And so one is full of pleasure, the other is full of pride. And they can't stand what Paul is saying. In fact, look in the next verse. And what you see, they say, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? The word ignorant show-off is a Greek phrase that was used for birds picking seeds. It was the indication that Paul was basically a seed picker. He was simply just grabbing a hold of little bits and pieces of anything he could find to make some collection of something, try to make sense, like he was babbling his way through what he was presenting to them. They didn't like what Paul had to say. And then others replied, he seems to be preaching of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So the gospel message is what they're hearing, and they don't like it. They look, they took him, and they brought him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus in Athens was the chief court of appeals. It's where they had 100 members on a tribunal panel that would decide criminal cases as well as religious discourse. And they were all here in this Areopagus where Paul is now going to make his presentation known. And they said this to him, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul is in a situation here where everybody's just simply saying, hey, 
You hear what this guy's saying? It makes no sense. Hey, but let's just go ahead and hear what he has to say. Take him down here, and we'll hear him at the Court of Appeals. And let's see how he does with all these people here to make a presentation of what we think he's babbling about. They're ready to basically make fun of him. Try to see if he can make any sense of it. The fact that they said to him, this makes, this sounds strange to us. The reason why it sounds strange is because Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. 2 Corinthians 4, he said to the Corinthian church, if your gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, who the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their minds so they will not believe or see the light of the gospel that they may be saved. It's an indication that what Paul is up against, the reason why this sounds strange, the reason why this makes no sense to a Stoic and to an Epicurean and all the people gathering, is because they don't know Christ and their hearts and minds are trapped in seductive blindness from the enemy. And that's the kind of stuff we're in right now. That's where we are. And what we have to come to a point if we're going to adopt and what we see here from Paul as he's laying it down is that we pray directively with his example. We pray for blinded minds and hearts to receive sight of the gospel. That this would be done, and as we go further in the text in a moment, we'll see how the people receive sight of the gospel. But this is what we're praying for. When you're talking with someone you love, when you're trying to minister to somebody you work with, or you have someone in your family, it's like talking to a brick wall. And you can't get through. It's the scales that are on their eyes. It's the blindness on their heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the one and only hope that they have. Author and pastor, Jack Wellman, made this statement. He said, national moral decline happens when God is neglected. Each generation is exposed to more and more of the raw brutality, illicit sex, and escalating violence We are desensitizing our minds to the point that we don't blush anymore. We don't turn away from violent scenes like we used to. That our children are being exposed to sexual immorality at a younger and a younger age. It's like we are the proverbial frog in the pot, not knowing he is slowly cooking to death. When we pray, our prayer is that, God, I want to have the burden that when I see satanic attack on my people, my countrymen, my fellow Americans, my nation that I live, this is my Jerusalem, this is my Samaria, this is my Judea. I am here, Lord. I want to be grieved that it's just not another statistic. It's just not another family down the drain, another person on on, on drugs. It's something that I personally burden myself for the fact that, God, I need to intercept that. I need to pray for this person. I need to speak because blindness fills their hearts. Pray for the blinded hearts to receive sight of the gospel. And as you continue in the text, you'll see that Paul, when he gets his moment to finally say something at the Areopagus, and he has all these people here listening, Paul realizes the platform he's been given, and he's going to make sure that the gospel is known in this, in this, in this place in this Greek city. Look what he says here, beginning in verse 22, and I love the way he lays it out. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus, and he said, People of Athens, 
I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Before you go any further, take note of what he's saying here. The Apostle Paul is recognizing that the one common denominator that he has with all the Athenians as well as the God Yahweh in his life is the fact that there is a spiritual tone that is in Athens, but they're worshiping the wrong God. And what he realizes is that he's got to speak to that and he's going to proclaim who this God is. In the Athenian tradition, there was a plague that hit Athens prior to Paul getting here years before Paul came. And when the plague hit Athens, all of the Athenians responded to the plague by making sacrifices to all of the known deities at that time that they had in Athens. There were several of them. When they made sacrifices to all of the deities, the plague remained. It didn't get rid of the plague. So what they decided to do through some advice from a Cretan is they took the advice to say, you need a sacrifice to all of the unknown deities because apparently you haven't gotten the right one. So they began to say, the way you're going to know where to set the altar up for sacrifice is let the sheep roam. The sacrificial sheep will roam in the area of Athens and the whole city. And wherever the sheep that is going to be sacrificed stops to sit down and rest, that's where the false gods, that's where the gods will want you to sacrifice. So they began to set up all of these altars all over Athens to unknown gods as a hope to appease the false gods so that the plague would be removed. One of the ancient writers of the text of back in that day and time would say, that when you came into Athens, it was more common to see a false god than it was first to even see a man. It was a city that was saturated all over the place with idols and shrines because the people were so desperate, they were trying to meet the need of the false gods to get the plague out of there. Paul takes this as leverage, and he says, this God that you don't know who you're sacrificing to? I know his name. I've met him. He saved me. And I want to introduce you to him. So what Paul does in the text is he goes further as you go down in the text and it says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives life or everyone life and breath and all things, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined, listen to this, he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Paul's way of saying the elephant in the room is, I am crossing through Athens right now, and you are living here right now, so I can proclaim to you what I need to tell you about Jesus. Amen? So he goes on and he says this. Look at this. Why does God do this? 
all the real estate of the entire world, everywhere someone lives, why does God set people up, as people think coincidentally, to be where they are? He says it right there in verse 27. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though God is not far from each one of us. Wow. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, we should not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashionably fashioned by human art and imagination. What Paul is bringing out here in attention is the reality of the fact that what we're praying for is that Paul makes note that the reason why the God that you don't know who you're worshiping, and I'm telling you who he is, he has set up your pre-appointed times and boundaries. And the reason why God lets you cross paths where you go and, and all these things is so that you would seek him. See, what we're praying for as the church, we are praying for boundaries of the lost to intersect with believers. That's what we're praying for. Because God has gone ahead of us. Yes, it's not willing, God's not willing to any perish, but all come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. He sent Christ to die for people to be saved. And so the church is the mobilization of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the voice. The church is the eyes and the ears of Jesus. And he wants us to collide and intersect with darkness to bring the light of the gospel to see people rescued from their destruction before it is eternally too late. This is the why for the intersection of the boundaries. Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, Jesus would say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's Jesus' way of letting us know that he has the authority, not us, but we are his people representing him. And therefore, that's why we can go. All authority belongs to King Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is a spiritual kingdom that aims to capture the hearts of the nations, not their lands and their taxes. He wants them. He wants their hearts. That's why Paul would remind us to live boldly in this authority. In Colossians 2, he says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him. The bodily Godhead in Christ dwells in me through Jesus. I have his authority to do what I need to do to speak on his behalf. And I don't need someone to tell me I can't. Because I need to speak what Jesus Christ, the king of all people, whether they know it or not, has said. Because he has the authority. It's his. The victory chant for the church is long live the king. Amen? Because Christ our king has defeated Satan. He's resurrected in power. And he has commissioned us as the king's people under his authority to announce his gospel to the nations. That's what we're given. And we don't need to be embarrassed about that, ashamed of that. Don't need to be camouflaged Christians about that. Need to be bold in our love for people. Because that's what God calls us to do. As the king's ambassadors, we are here 
right here, right now in this generation, as salt and as light, as watchmen on the wall, loving voices of truth that will vote when we need to vote, will speak when we need to speak, will live out the gospel when we need to live out the gospel. And we are here with the word of God as our authority on behalf of our king so that we can talk to our nation, speak to our nation, and be bold in our appeal for our nation because we see them blinded and broken and and they're living away from Christ and they don't know that they need him. But when we speak, we speak out of that authority from Jesus and with that authority from the word of God. We speak with it and we are praying for Holy Spirit breakthrough as we proclaim the truth of what God's word says. That aborting a child is Psalm 139 murder. That abusing our bodies with any addictive substance is 1 Corinthians 6 destruction. That living a two-faced life is Matthew 23 hypocrisy. That lying and deception brings Acts 5 judgment. That lusting after a man or a woman, is Matthew chapter 5, adultery. And that homosexual and lesbian union is Romans 1, willful sin against God's physiological creation plan for all humankind because marriage will always be Matthew 19 marriage between one man and one woman that's not interrupted by any transgender sexual orientation and that living together before marriage is breeding ground for Hebrews 13 fornication, not because it's old-fashioned, but because it's the Word of God. Period. It's truth. It's not wanted. It's not popular. Nobody wants to hear it. Because everyone wants to do what's right in his own eyes when there is no king. But when there's a king, what do you say, Lord? What is the truth of the king? And it's the king's truth that governs the heart of the person. The other part of this passage I want you to see is when Paul gets to the end of his message, he says right here to the people in verse 30, he says, therefore, Having overlooked the times of ignorance. The times of ignorance, Paul says to them, you've been ignorant. You've worshipped a rock. You've worshipped a a false god. You've, You've had shrines to people. You don't even know their name. God's been ignorant. Or you've you've been ignorant, and God has overlooked this time of ignorance. But look at this. But now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus Christ, he has appointed, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him or Jesus from the dead. What Paul does in this moment, it's like time freezes. And the Areopagus, I bet you could have heard a pin drop. They're listening and they're realizing that this God has a son named Jesus. And he has died for me and he rose again. No other God has risen again. This God rises from the dead. Who is he? And they're listening. And when they realize that what Paul says is that now you've been ignorant, you've lived your life, you've done your own thing, you falsely worshiped a false God, but now God calls you to repent. He calls you to actually hate what has been against him. Call it sin and call it by its first name. 
and own it and repent and break over that. Because there's a day coming, Paul says, when you're going to give an account to the Lord, the God that I speak to you about, he said, his son Jesus, all judgment's been committed to Christ. He rose from the dead and he's the king. And you're going to give an account to him. And right now, you may have been ignorant, but now you can change things by repenting and coming to know this king. You see, repentance is what we're praying for. We're praying for brokenness, repentant brokenness to heal our nation. Because pride right now runs everywhere in our beautiful America. And it's not the way that it should have been. And where we find ourselves in this moment is praying for repentant brokenness to heal our land. That men would no longer be proud of what they should be ashamed of. That this would be what happens. And if it happens one little life at a time, it's worth the one. And it's worth a little as God does it for his glory. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln made a speech called the National Proclamation of Prayer and Repentance. And he said this to America at this time. You would think he's talking in 2022, but he's talking in 1863. Listen to his words. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in grace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own, intoxicated with unbroken success. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that created us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Brokenness is what led repentance into the hearts of the Ninevites when Jonah preached to them. In Jonah 3.10, it said God saw their actions and that they had turned from their evil ways. Brokenness is what led to repentance for the Pentecostal crowd in Acts 1.37, when they heard the pe- message from Peter, it says they were pierced to the heart. It's better to be humbled and broken now than to be lost and broken on that appointed day before G- the resurrected Christ. Let's pray for repentant brokenness for, na- for America. And it starts with even the people we know. It starts with the co-workers we know. It starts with the people that we are most acquainted with, and then we go from there. But we start where we are. We bloom where we are planted. And we go ahead and say, God, I call out to you for this and pray for the brokenness, maybe like we've never prayed before, as if we really believe that this day will come. The last thing that Paul says in the text is beautiful. It's amazing for us to remember Another, the, the, the fifth directive way I want to give you right here is, is the very end of this. If you'll look at verse 32, listen, listen to what happens here. As Paul has finished preaching, it says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Do you know why? Because the Epicurean and the Stoics, they didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in any of that. So when you start talking about some afterlife in this kind of way, they don't, they don't agree with it. It makes no sense, but that's not everybody. If you keep reading, it says, he said there, uh, they ridiculed him, but others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. 
So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, look at this, and believed, including Dionysius, an Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul, most didn't want to hear what you had to say, but the Spirit of God brought some to the gospel. And that's why we do what we do, and we are where we are, and we are the church for the reason of we see the masses. But the Lord knows even the one that needs the gospel. That's why we are where we are. I will say to you what we're praying for. We're praying for brethren to join the kingdom of Christ. Because those brethren right now are enemies to God, living away from God in hostility to the gospel. And they don't believe. Because they're in darkness and they're blinded. But they're boundarying in our lives so that we can see them broken in repentance through the gospel of Jesus. And that's how the blind eyes are opened, by the way. It's when we take the intersection that God gives us with lost people and we give them the gospel. Because we are so concerned in the fact that we don't want to see America continue on the track that it's on when we have a chance to share the gospel with others. We're praying for brethren to join the kingdom of Christ. In the Areopagus, it's a very interesting thing. The Bible says Dionysius is an Areopagite. Remember, the Areopagus had a 100-court panel of basically judges. And so the Areopagite is an indication that one of the judges on the panel got saved, y'all. I mean, this must have been motivation chapters later when Paul is standing before Felix and King Agrippa when he's like, I wish you would become a Christian, right? You can just imagine Paul getting momentum here by going, wow, one of the own judges came, as well as Damaris. What we find in the text is just the realization is that while Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, we are to be preparing Areopagites and Damarises as ambassadors for Jesus. As the king's subjects, we represent King Jesus with a courageous contagious Christianity that doesn't break under pressure from upsetting people because of lovingly giving them the truth one kingdom conversation at a time, at work, at school, at our family gatherings, and yes, even in the Walmart aisles. We want to make known the gospel as we pray for fervency in the Spirit's power. Let's not focus on the overwhelming mess that we see in our country and basically just throw up some general prayer, praying for our country. No, let's be specific here. Let's own the mess that we're in. Instead of looking at the overwhelming mess, focus on that one. Jesus valued even one lost sheep in Luke 15. One lost Zacchaeus in Luke 19. One lost woman at the well in John 4. Let's pray against the destruction happening right now, and let's be in prayer together right now, even today, beginning today especially, Let's be the voice before Almighty God crying out for our nation for that one marriage. Can you think of a marriage that is struggling right now? Satanically attacked. One rebellious son that Satan is trying to pull away from his family. I was ministering to a mother last night till late hours over the phone for her son that is turning away. Let's pray for that one abused child. Even the one drug addict, the one single mom who can barely not make it anymore the one grieving family, the one alcoholic, and even that one little girl 
that could live in hot springs tonight, and she cries herself to sleep every night, and no one knows her name. These people exist, and they are real, and they are there, and the Spirit of the living God knows them, even if we don't. Let's pray for the one. In the midst of spiritual, moral, and economical decline across our nation, we as the church must not retreat from the mess, but rather rally the gospel into the mess and return to the battle on our knees. Let's cry out with Ezra when he looked at the exiles coming back from Judah after the Babylonian captivity. In Ezra 9, he said, At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation with my tunic and my robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my my face towards you, my God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Our guilt is has been terrible from the days of our ancestors until present. What he said there is the truth, and it's a reminder even in these moments that this is where we are. But the psalmist is right in chapter 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's the nation that I pray that you and I believe still God is capable. One gospel conversation at a time. So all is not lost The Lord is still at work. There are thousands that still haven't bowed their knee to Baal. It's okay. We are in a mess, but our father is in charge and he is the authority and he is the king and we get to represent him and we should boldly yet lovingly speak on his behalf as the king. America needs for the church to revive with burden for that one lost broken life at a time and pray for blind hearts to boundary in brokenness to the gospel so that brethren are rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ. Let's cry out in prayer together right now, specifically for these ways for America. I'm going to ask if you would just bow your head for this moment as we prepare our hearts with our worship team here. And we're praying for our nation. As Pastor Capace has led us in this the, the vision of this year of every month, we have focal points and themes we pray for. And right now we have from the Apostle Paul and his example in the middle of a Christless society, we see five different directive ways that we are called to exemplify and we are called to pray. Today, the foundation for all of these directive ways to pray begins with burden. If any of us here today have burden for some one person that we know is fitting description of a Christless society, some one person we know that is walked away from or living in or or anti-God this or anything that there is destruction in this person's life, you love them. You don't judge them. You don't criticize them. You love them. Would we begin today with burden in our heart, crying out to God? And if we've cried out to the Lord before, let's keep crying out even now. And would any of us pray for our countrymen, our American people here on our own in our country, and look at what we live in this generation? Today is a day. There will be any of our elders that are present will be up front. If you need to pray with someone specifically, that opportunity will be here. If any of our elders are here, you're welcome to come up front. 
And if you need to pray up front on your own or in your chair, you do so. But today, I, I, I beg you on behalf of Jesus from the text, will you join us together in praying? This is what America needs from the church, and let's cry out to him in this manner, in these directive ways. Father, we recognize that you have the authority. We recognize that you are the king of our hearts, but you are not recognized as the king of the heart of the nation. And we see it, Lord, and we grieve for what grieves your heart. Oh God, please help us not get so numb and desensitized to all of the national calamity that we just huddle up in the church and kind of stay in our little corner while the world just goes to disaster. God, help us be the king's people as ambassadors for Jesus. God, help us, forgive us if our hearts are too lazy and if we've just not taken it to heart again. God, bring us back to your heart again for people in a way that we cry out to you and we are burdened for what burdens you. Help us, Lord. Boundary the lost to us. We need to share Jesus with them. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Let's stand together, church family.